a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I don't know that I necessarily want the people to remember my sermon for uh, a week as much as I want them to uh, receive that Word of God right there. If this is a, uh, a download of information, it's important that you retain that information. Yeah. But if this is being addressed by a, a burning bush, I know that a burning bush talked to me. And I said to the guy, uh, look, at when the Bible talks about vision, it's, it's talking about the death of Jesus. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. It's talking about the gospel. It's talking about confessing the creed. And his answer to me was, yeah, uh, I'm not using vision in the biblical sense, but rather in the business sense. <laughs> okay, then. All right. I, by the way, had no knowledge of that encounter when I posed the hypothetical. <laughs> Like falling off the wagon, this is another edition of Table Talk Radio, and today we are uh, showing the the height of show preparation by playing Name That Game game. And, That's my favorite. And that out- is my favorite game to play. And, ec- <laughs> and outsourcing talent in the last segment of the program with Warren Graff, maybe. Yeah. I just sent him a text to make sure he's ready this time. Okay. I mean, I... <laughs> I'm sure he's ready. I'm sure he's as ready as we are. I think that that's true. I, I bet he's readier than we are. He just needs to know that we're going to be <laughs> just, doing it today. Just in general. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, if he's awake, he's probably readier than we are and wearing shoes. Indeed. Okay, so um, first off, we have buzzwords. And yes. And do, do you have a buzzword there? Patrick? I do. Okay. okay, I'm guessing that we are playing buzzwords right now. Very good. My buzz for you, buzzword for you is passion. <laughs> That's a pretty good one, huh? The movie? Uh, no. So remember, we normally think of passion, and we think of like of uh, emotional intensity. I think of a fruit drink. <laughs> Most people think of emotional intensity. It's like Mandy says, "Where's the passion?" And you're like, oh, "Well, I thought I saw some in the fridge. <laughs> I, I, I drank it already." <laughs> Uh, in fact, that romantic passion, passion mostly is a romantic thing nowadays. But no, see, it comes... it'd be the other way around. Manny'd be like, "Oh, what passion!" That that's how it would be. Probably <laughs> with that exact in, inflection. <laughs> oh, what passion! She says it in sign language, you know, so make sure you get it. So, uh, but passion comes. It it has the same root as the word that we use, which is passive. And to be passive is to have stuff done to you. You know, it's the opposite of active in grammar and in life. So, um, so to, 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 it means to suffer. And to suffer means to be on the getting end of something. So when it's this time of year, we're often talking about or have talked about the passion of Jesus, which means his suffering, his being passive, his letting all of these things um, come to him, including the wrath of man, the wrath of the devil, and most especially the wrath of God. And so uh, so the Passion of the Christ is named after this. In fact, you know, there's this long tradition in the church of passion plays where you, you act out the events of the last week of Jesus' life. And, um, and, and really the movie The Passion is just a kind of a modern redoing of the ancient passion play. And, and that's why it's called The Passion. Wait, it's because th- it's what Jesus suffers. I thought that was original. You mean that, that was a retelling of a story? Huh. Huh. Yeah, there you go. That's, I'm that's, glad you're here to learn something. That's sort of the bummer about watching biblically-based movies, 
you already know how it ends. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, man, I read the book. There's also something about the Bible that doesn't translate well to film. I mean, the Passion was probably the best, but and 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 because it was kind of riffing on the medieval Passion plays, like when we were in Germany watching the Passion play, uh, it was in scenes, and it was really it was it's kind of incredible because it had a scene from the life of Jesus, and then they would the the stage would clear, and then it would have a still, uh, and it would be a, normally it was an Old Testament image, like Abraham about to kill Isaac or uh, Job suffering or something like that, and it was it was using the Old Testament to kind of uh, it was showing the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was it's kind of nice, but you have to do it in scenes, and the Bible doesn't do that. In fact, it's just one camera, mostly pointed at Jesus, uh, telling how things are going down with him in the last hours of his life. The other thing I'm not too crazy about with the uh, biblically based movies is that um, the Bible doesn't give all the details that you would want for a movie. So some director somewhere is going to have to make up the rest. So you know, be it you know background or what this that look like or what the other apostles are doing standing around when when the Bible doesn't actually say what they're doing, and you have to fill it in, right? We can't just have like black parts on the screen because we don't have that written in the Bible, and um, it just I, I think that watching those things, you start you can do your best to try not to, but, but I think it starts to meld what you watch on the silver screen and what you have read in the scripture, so that you actually start to think these things happened, even though they didn't really happen at all. Everyone when they picture Moses thinks of the guy in the Exodus movie. Yeah, Will Brenner. Is yeah, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. I have a buzzword for you. It is. I'm ready for it. Adoptionism. <laughs> Adoptionism is a is a heresy. And it's a, it's, a, it's a teaching that tried to emphasize the humanity of Christ. And as we know with all of the Christological heresies, um, they either uh, overemphasize one of, the, one of the other, the divine nature, the human nature of Christ. And in this case, in, in uh, emphasizing the humanity of Christ, um, neglected the divinity of Christ. And it talked about how uh, Christ was, uh, was human and he was... Uh, elevated to divine sonship, so that uh, that that uh, that Jesus, in his essence, isn't also the divine um, person of God, but rather that he is a, a human being who is given who is given divine sonship. See the difference? Yep. And so sometimes people say that uh, he's just an ordinary guy walking around until the uh, baptism of uh, of Jesus, and then he's kind of endowed with divine. Uh, divine attributes. Um, and then some will go so far to say that uh, he releases this divineness um, on the cross when he gives up his spirit. Um, that is wrong because it denies the div- uh, divine nature of Christ. So um, Adoptionism. Adoptionism. Wrong. Got it. Good. All right, you ready for the Name That Game game? Ready. Here is your first... Oh, I know in- what we're doing. I bet we're playing Name That Game game. I win! Dang, I never thought about See that. See what I did there? <laughs> 100 points for me. Go on. Huh. Okay. Uh, that's kind of a loophole that I we, we needed to think through. We're going to have to totally rethink this, the rules in the offseason now. Allow for instant replay. Okay, here's your, first, uh, here's your first entry in the Name That Game game you've correctly identified. Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Oh, wait a minute. I don't want to. Well, that's okay. We can do this one for now. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. 
So a couple ideas um, pop into my head here. We could either be playing the game Bible Bee, in which you read a verse from the Bible, then I have to uh, guess what book of the Bible it is. Uh, we could also be playing Name That Event in the Life of Jesus, which is exactly the same thing, only na- instead of uh, naming the gospel, you name what's going on in the life of Jesus. Um, I'm going to, <laughs> because I know the answer to one and not the other, I'm going to guess that we are playing the game uh, Name That Event in the Life of Jesus. Wrong. Ugh. That, we are playing the game Name That Text from the Passion. We've never played that game before. Well, I just invented it. <laughs> now, the ge- great genius of this new game is, <laughs> I can't believe you didn't know, is that, uh, you know, the Passion account, uh, the, the, the account of the uh, suffering and death of Jesus, it comes to us from all four Gospels, but all of them are slightly different, and each of them has different things in it. Now, this is a particularly tricky game. Because in this game, I'll read a text that only occurs in one of the Gospels in the event of the Passion, and you have to guess what Gospel it comes from. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Don't you like this one? That sounds a lot like Bible Bee. It is a lot like Bible Bee. <laughs> it has a similar theme to it. <clears throat> so what you want? So you just read a verse, and you want me to name the book of the Bible it's in. Yep. Okay, but we're not playing Bible Bee. No. Where, because if, if we were playing Bible B, what you would do is you'd read a v- verse, then I would name the book the Bible that it's in. Right, that's right. But it wouldn't be limited only to passion texts. <laughs> I see, yeah. It's a particular genius of this This is game, heavily so. nuanced, I see, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay, so could this be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Um, and so this is the scene where Jesus is before Pilate, and Pilate's trying to figure out a way to appease the crowd and not kill the guy. Um, and he thought he thinks, "Hey, I have an idea. Why don't we bring out this guy who is convicted, and um, maybe they'll want to crucify him rather than Jesus?" But right. the crowd says, "No, no, no! Bring us Barabbas and crucify the one who claims to be the Messiah." Hmm. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I think I'm just gonna get. I don't think it's. Uh, maybe it could be John. Um. I mean, so John would would have a little bit of weight in guessing this game because the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sorry, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, are called the synoptics, uh, which means seen together uh, because they uh, oftentimes share the same stories. So by just by virtue of John not being a synoptic Gospel, um, would kind of lend towards this game, but you know that, and I think that I do know that, <laughs> and I and I think you might be trying to trick me. So I'm going to say that this account of Barabbas appears in the Gospel according to Saint Luke. Hey, you're right. Ha! How did you, that happen? I wonder. I don't know. That's Luke, Luke 23, it, verse uh, 18. I mean, I I, 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 su- I say I, I suppose <laughs> that there's going to be certain details. I mean, the, the reason this game works is because there's certain details in certain gospels that aren't in the others. But I I tend to think that Luke is a little bit more detailed in the passion narrative. Well, let's keep that strategy when we go to the next round. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. If you say what you want to say. not a radio show it's a relationship stay tuned for more table talk radio 
The daily Bible meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio, where I, where I am dominating in this game called Name That Game Game. In you which have 300 points, by the way. 100 points for naming that we're playing Name That Game Game. And then 200 points for getting that right miraculously, the text from Luke. Now, here's the interesting. In Matthew, Pilate says, who will release? They say, just Barabbas. Mark doesn't have that account. In Luke, it has the long thing that says that Barabbas was an insurrectionist and a murderer, and in John, it says Barabbas was a robber. So uh, that's the full account of the Barabbas thing, looking across all four Gospels. Nice. Okay, I'm ready for another round. Uh, besides, while he, that's Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much over him today in a dream. I think we're playing the game... Uh name the unique part of the passion in which of the gospels game wrong this is bible b <laughs> that's okay you still have a chance <laughs> i'm not even sure i got the the name right what was the name before <laughs> uh name that event in the passion oh okay you know you know in bible b this is the uh, one of the other differences in the game called name that event in the passion the the, event, the verse has to be only in one gospel, but in Bible B, it could be in multiple places. You know and that was one of the tricks of Bible B. You know, Remember? I <laughs> no, I didn't realize I could do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I <laughs> sorry. The reason that's funny is because I did that all the time. Yeah, um, I, I'm starting I to remember. think that you just pick the opposite of whatever I guess. Hey. Let's keep that strategy for the next round. <laughs> see what happens. All right. So this is where uh, Pilate's wife starts to intervene and, uh, and, and, and you know, give in her two cents here. And uh, which gospel is this in? I, I mean, it, is this only in one then? Is that what you're saying? Because mm-hmm. we're playing Bible B no. now? No, Bible B. It could be in multiple, remember? Okay. So I only have to guess one, be, but one, it one of the ones be. it's in. Right. right. Uh, I'm going to say, what is the gospel according to St. Matthew? Are you kidding me? How do you, Woo! Me? How do you know this, I wonder? Woo! Uh, the answer is Matthew chapter 27. That's the only yeah. time where Pilate, you hear from Pilate's wife. I don't know how. Yes. I think I'll quit now. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. No, no. No, <laughs> no. no. This gets better. I got uh, better. I, got, I mean, I got more. So you want to uh, now? But since we're playing Bible B, you got to do Law Gospel. Remember, that's the other thing. Oh man. Okay, read it again for that. Uh, Pilate said to him, "Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much over him today in a dream." Interesting, huh? It is interesting because um, here you have uh, Pilate's wife having dreams. Now this could be. A, uh, a natural phenomenon. I have dreams all the time when I'm kind of worried about something, thinking about something, and then I'll have a dream about it. Um, I suppose this could also be a divine kind of a dream, because we're not we're not actually explicitly uh, told that in the text, but it's possible. Um, 
but she says that uh, I mean, obviously she's she's worried about this because um, there's something to be said about this man named Jesus whom everybody wants to crucify, and uh, if if he was uh, not a righteous man as as Pilate's wife says that he is, then there would be no concern, right? I mean, if 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 the guy was a murderer and a thief, you just say okay, crucify him, and everybody be like, all right, why not? He's a murderer and a thief. Um, but the fact that he's righteous and that uh, there are certain claims about this man, uh, namely that he is the son of God. Um, suddenly, you're not so quick to crucify the son of God if you're convinced he is actually the son of God, right? Um, so this is what's on her mind. So I think that insofar as that she is troubled about the idea of crucifying Jesus, um, speaks to law that this is uh, pointing out a, a, a matter of conviction um, in that she's uh, contemplating crucifying this man. Uh, yep, that's right. You like that? Okay. Yeah, I like it. All right, you ready for the next round? Ready. Um, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Okay, this time, I'm going to get it. This time we are playing uh, Name the Event in the Passion and Bible Bee Super Game. Wrong. We are playing Table Talk Jeopardy. What? Yeah. Yeah. Category, Events in the Passion. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, Okay. That's not really a Jeopardy answer, but okay. By the way, that's a 500-point question, so you were risking it all here. See, I was thinking it was a daily double. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so this is, oh, this is, this is where uh, Pilate <laughs> says, hey, this is the sign that I have put up there, and don't challenge me. And the Pharisees, I think it is, or the scribes or whomever, um, don't like this because um, you know it's saying that Jesus is the king of the Jews, and say, no, no, don't say that, but that he claimed that he was the king of the Jews. Uh, Pilate will have none of it, though. What I have written, I have written. And this, of course, appears in the gospel according to St. Mark. And oh. Both both wrong guess, and you didn't ask it in the form of a question. What is the gospel of St. Mark? No matter. You got it wrong. You want to double down? No, you don't. I'm not going to even give you a chance. Yeah, I'll double Your down. Your points are down to zero. <laughs> and you were looking for, what is the Gospel of John? Ugh. I have what I've written, what I have written. Uh, then they took this, uh, they took Jesus, they made four parts of his garment. Let us not tear it, but cast lots, etc. That's all the Gospel of John. Only in John. Hmm. Yeah. Somehow I have zero points. When That's I was, great. When I was, oh, that worked out I mean, just I'm, perfectly. I'm two for three, but I have zero points. But whatever. Uh, yeah. You want another one? Yes. Or you want to talk about that? Well, let's talk about this one. So, um, it seems like Pilate is, you know, trying to get. He's doing everything to kind of indicate that I don't think Jesus is guilty, and you have some sympathy for Pilate, right? Because I mean, he's sitting there trying to not crucify Jesus. But here's the point. He had the authority to not do it, and he did it anyways because he was afraid. And yes. so, uh, so Pilate goes down as the person who knew he he had he had uh, he knew the right thing to do, but he did not do it. And the scriptures will condemn that. I mean, we mostly think about unbelief as a 
what, as a mental sort of thing. You just think the wrong thing or believe the wrong thing. But, but, but Pilate, um, he might not have known fully who Jesus was, but he knew that to kill him would be, would be wrong, and yet still he does it um, uh, shamefully. And out of fear of the people, we should say, too. Yeah. Right. I mean, this it's is... This is so it's not a lack of courage, complete lack of courage. Right. I mean, this is sort of the idea of a, uh, of a demagogue, right? That uh, one who just uh, establishes, uh, what, policies or whatever um, to fit the people. You know, so that, that uh, um, if, I, if I'm running for office and I don't actually care about any particular aspect um, of public policy or making the country better, all I really want to do is get elected and be in power. So what I'm going to do is say that my thoughts and opinions are those things that will be most popular um, just to get elected or to appease the people in this case. Um, that's kind of the idea of a demagogue, which sounds a lot like every politician. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Our politicians are civil, noble, yeah, yeah, courageous, polite, yeah. well spoken. <laughs> Indeed. All right, I want another round of name that game game. Okay, here it is. You got to listen carefully. Ready? Mm-hmm. Eloy, Eloy, Lama Sabakthani. Okay, this time we're playing um, page for points. <laughs> nope. Oh, I was so Bible, close, I bet. Bible B. It's Bible oh, B. Bible. Okay, now you're trying to trick me on this one because um, this is known as the cry of dear election, and the translation is, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, um, the the trick here is, is that in one of the Gospels, it's, um, Eli, Eli, and then another one it's Eloi, Eloi. Um, so I'm I'm pondering this O here. Now, which did you say? You said uh, Eloi, 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 Lama Sabachthani. Okay. And uh, so I I oof, not sure. I think this appears in I want to say Matthew and Mark. Um, now, which is which? If if that's even correct, which is which is is the the, the thing here. Um, and I think, um, well, t- to stall a little bit, I'll talk about the cry of dear election, that here, uh, uh, Jesus is crying out as one forsaken by God the Father. And there's all this, I mean, I, I can't explain this, um, in terms of the Trinity, that, that here we say that, uh, there is but one God and three persons, and yet somehow, uh, one person of the Father can, um, can forsake another without dividing the unity of God. I can't explain that. But what I can say is that Jesus on the cross is wearing all of my sins. And if he's wearing my sins, then God has no choice but to forsake his son, Jesus, so that now he does not forsake me in my sins or yours either. So we have the promise that um, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's true only because Jesus was forsaken on the cross in my place. And um, I think we're, we need to go to a break right now, but I'm going to say Mark. What is Mark? You are right. Woo! Ha! All right, we're going to go to... Eloy and Mark. Eli, Eli and Matthew. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then um, talk to Warren Graff. Ain't it fun? 
how many Table Talk Radio listeners does it take to change a light bulb? You'll probably have to settle for one. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you can find at worldvieweverlasting.com. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. And hey, hey the, welcome back. While the scoreboard may not show it, I nearly dominated that last game of Name That Game Game. Because Score I nailed... update is zero to zero. <laughs> but I nailed three out of four of the entries. It's just that uh, with with um, Brian moving the goalpost there, I didn't quite come away with too many points. <laughs> In any case, uh, we have been, as we said last week, outsourcing main talent here on the show. And we welcome yes. back Pastor Warren Graff, who's pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Pastor Graff, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. We, lo- we love having you on because you bring some fascinating news stories to our attention, at least to my attention. Hey, you know what I was doing last week? I was recording a conversation about Frederick Nietzsche and was looking at it, and I noticed a similarity between Warren's <laughs> mustache and Nietzsche's mustache. <laughs> and now I know what the, uh, what the um, you know, inspiration behind that mustache ah. is. Yeah, I need, to get a, I need to get a stash. That's, that's what I'm missing. <laughs> I'm, I'm that was, on, it was... That was exactly why I grew a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or it was a Bismarck. I don't remember which one. <laughs> well, uh, there's a story out about a young man who made a trip to North Korea and thought he'd helped himself to a certain uh, propaganda banner and uh, was caught, and now he is sentenced to 15 years of hard labor in North Korea. Uh, Pastor Graf, what's your perspective on this story? Well, my first perspective would be uh, given given a choice, don't go to North Korea. <laughs> um, but in this case, I mean, this is a story on uh, what CNN and uh, BBC has it. I'm sure everywhere, everywhere has a story. But the, a student, Otto Warmbier, Warmbier, something like that, um, is given hard labor in North Korea. So 15 years was his sentence of hard labor, and that really is. I mean, in North Korea, this is. We've probably all read about these concentration camps that they have that include um, starvation, uh, isolation, uh, sexual perversion, um, everything. They're as bad as, as as you get. They include whole families, so they will include um, uh, infants, two-year-old, three-year-old children, whatever, uh, in the concentration camps, hard labor. And it includes the death that you would think would be attendant with that. And you get all these stories out of these camps of uh, of they, they they rejoice in being able to find a mouse because that gives them uh, a piece of meat to eat for a day. Their normal their normal diet often ends up being grass in a field, and these are humans being treated this way. So with all that, we have North Korea that you know in our news we think of as being an outlaw state or or however we want to call it, and. According to our State Department, um, it's not illegal to go to North Korea, but they do ask Americans not to go because we don't have diplomatic relations, and our State Department can can offer no protection, no legal protection. And in this case, um, 
Mr. Warmbier disregarded that. He went with a with a group out of China, according to the news story. And while in North Korea, he helped himself uh, to a banner. He he stole a propaganda banner out of, and I'm not reading the news stories that appears as out of the lobby area of a hotel, whatever that means. And he said that he was stealing the banner to bring back because a church group in Ohio asked him to bring back a souvenir. <laughs> now, of course, they may have meant the gift shop, though. <laughs> they, I, maybe. I, I would think so. And you don't even know if that's true, because that's in his statement. His statement included that he was um, that he, his intent was to was to uh, bring I, I forget the word, but but uh, to bring um, uh, revolution or, or, or revolt against the uh, the peaceful government of North Korea. Now, obviously, that's not true. They they wrote that statement for him, and and he read it. So who knows how much of this is true? But we do know that he at least admitted to stealing this banner. Um, so. What do, what do you have there for how a Christian is given to um, to look at a, a story like this? And, and it's it's interesting because the first thing you say is we've got Seventh Commandment problems, obviously. You, you don't go and steal a banner, even if you think it's a small thing. If, if the banner's not yours, you don't take it. Why he was ever coveting the banner in the first place would be interesting to know. But if you see a banner, you don't covet it. So all over the commandments... There's this problem of not respecting someone else's property. But it would seem to me that really you could say that the big thing in this story is what was he doing in North Korea? Because now he was there with a tour group, and that's all peaceful and and all of that. But when your own government tells you that you should not go, there is something there of the Fourth Commandment, it would seem, of, in other words, we are... Uh, American, or, or citizens of the United States of America. If I go to Canada, a, a country obviously that we're at peace with, I am going as an American citizen. I am going expecting to have the protection due to an American citizen. And if Canada was to do something to me that was uh, outside of what would clearly be seen as justice, I would be able to expect that my what my American embassy would come to my aid. But if I go to North Korea when my country has told me it would be better not to, that I should not go, then what position have I put my country into? As a citizen, is that a good and helpful thing for me to do toward my neighbor? And is it, is it a helpful thing for me to do with respect to those who are given to, uh, to care for me and my justice? Because now that he's in prison for, for 15 years of hard labor, he now has the machinery of our State Department having to react to it. I don't know how they can react to it. They will probably just send Bill Richardson over to try to, to try to drag him out of there. But why does he have his own nation having to react to something like this just because he wanted to go and do something um, where they told him they couldn't protect him? What uh, can you make this connection? Uh, bind this up because you, the Fourth Commandment on your father and mother. People might say, "Hey, that just has to do with family." Uh, what does it have to do with citizenship and country and being a, uh, a citizen of the, of the United States? Right. And that's where, in the Fourth Commandment, uh, Luther, in the large catechism especially, does such a nice, clear job 
of showing that the reason we have public servants is not because public servants stand on their own, but rather because we have mother and father. That's the first institution, we might say. Um, the, the first institution is the Lord gave to man and woman to be married and to bring forth children, be fruitful and multiply, as Genesis puts it. And from that, we now have families. And from the family, we derive the authority of other institutions, including, for instance, a school teacher, including a police officer, including then uh, the government of my own state, the government of my nation. So that for me to resist my government, when my government is giving me a law or direction that is not against God's word, that is not against God's law, um, in other words, if my government tells me that you can only drive 40 miles an hour on this particular road, uh, as someone who knows that I belong to my Lord Jesus and that he's the one who gave me my parents, and from parents are derived these other authorities that's, that are here to serve the family, for me to resist that law and to willingly break it, especially in a way that would hurt my neighbor, is for me to break the commandment of honor your father and your mother. Is, is part and of in that case, it would, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to ask, is part of this conversation the idea that anything that is not illegal is something that I'm free to do, which is really appeal to the uh, sinful flesh and his approach uh, to, to the will? So that, yeah, so, that, you, so that this young yeah. man, uh, it was not illegal to go to North Korea. Uh, he was just advised not to, and because it's not illegal, right. then I'm free to do so. Well, I, yeah, I think so. I mean, it really is something that if I go to North Korea, because, because my government has told me that we advise you not to go, and in that it would seem to me they're clearly saying we cannot or we will not be able to give you protection if you go, then... In, in that case, for me to go to North Korea would be for me to say, I'm on my own here. I need to give, my, give, give myself my own protection. And maybe we can see where a businessman, for instance, may do exactly that, where someone representing a, a large corporation, let's say, would go to North Korea because he knows that his corporation is behind him, and maybe they have certain contracts with the North Korean government or something of that order. But for this young man to go, when he's been advised not to by his government, um, I mean, at best, you could say it's ill thought. <laughs> but behind that, you'd say, why would you want to? Why would you want to do something that your government is asking you not to do? Because you are putting your government into jeopardy. It may not be a high level of jeopardy, but the very fact that our State Department has to now have this as part of their conversation does mean that you're asking your country to do something for you that you should have never asked them to do. Uh, let's take a break right there. I have I have at least one more question on this story, and then we might have another story or two uh, coming up. So stay tuned to Table Talk Radio. We'll be right back. And a little bit of chicken fries. Cold beer on a Friday night. A pair of jeans that fit just right. And the radio Of a precious child and old mother's love. It's funny how it's the little things in life that mean the most. Not where you live, what you drive, or the price tag on your clothes. There's no dollar sign on a piece of mind. This I've come to know. 
So if you agree, have a drink with me, raise your glasses for a toast to a little bit of chicken fried and cold beer on a Friday night. A pair of jeans that fit just right. You're listening to Table Talk Radio because cable's expensive. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We're on with Warren Graff. We're talking about a story about a young man who uh, traveled to North Korea uh, against the uh, the advice of government and uh, now has found himself uh, sentenced to 15 years of hard labor because he stole a banner out of a hotel lobby. And Pastor Graff, I want to... Man, imagine if he would have taken a towel. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to know what that banner said. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. But but I'm wondering, uh, Pastor Graff... Um, we in America have a system in our in our in our uh, criminal justice system of that that a punishment needing to fit a crime, and uh, I was wondering is that a is that a uh, um, a biblical idea that 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 governments are restricted in the way that they would bear the sword for the evildoer, and how are we to take a government that goes beyond that limit and, and under this fourth commandment understanding? Yes, I think we could say that it is. The government is given to bear the sword, and as Paul says, it's for the punishment of the evildoer and for uh, the the praise or the reward of those who do well. But there does there is implicit in that that you're punishing the evil for for what it is, so that you're going to use a sword as as an instrument of execution against a murderer, but you're not going to use it as an instrument of execution uh, for the for the guy who steals just a piece of bread. And a picture of this might be just to look at the Levitical law. Now, now this doesn't come under Levitical law. The Levitical law, with with all those um, different rules and everything, is largely ceremonial and is largely taken care of then at the cross. You know, so for the instance, the things about how you have to cook meat, um, not eating the blood of the meat, etc., is answered at the cross. So that we're not concerned with that. But the reason I say that is you look at the Levitical law, and it can be quite specific of saying the way that justice is meted out, so that if a man kills his neighbor, it's one sentence. If he, if he kills his neighbor intentionally and with forethought, it's a different sentence. If he kills his neighbor by, uh, and I don't remember how it puts it, but essentially by his wagon or his ox accidentally falling on his neighbor. In both cases, you've killed your neighbor. But one case uh, would, I guess today we would say one case is what, first-degree murder, and the other is uh, manslaughter. And so one, one case would get you a possible sentence of uh, execution. The other would get you a possible sentence of whatever manslaughter is, um, 10 or 20 years, I suppose. But in that case, it is implicit when you're bearing the sword that the sentence does match the crime. And in this case, stealing a propaganda banner, which is what apparently Mr. Warmbier did uh, from the from the hotel um, lobby or whatever, to get a 15-year sentence of hard labor, I think any reasonable person can say those things do not meet up. He should have, rec- if he's guilty, uh, 
should have received a sentence, but what would a fair sentence be? And no, no one would say it's the 15 years. I, I guess you could say if Mr. Warmbier wants to go around stealing things like that, knowing that he can't depend on people bearing the sword uh, in, in, a, in a fair or just way, Maybe he should look back at Rachel and at least come up with when when Rachel stole the the uh, the household idols from from uh, her father Laban. At least she had a plan for getting them out of there without getting caught. And apparently, Mr. Wambier had no plan. He just <laughs> well, let he himself was, get picked up. He was the wrong gender for that plan. Well, the, the, yeah, he would have had to come up with a different plan than Rachel. That's for sure. Um, but apparently he had no plan at all because they just picked him up at the airport as he was leaving, it says in the news story. Oh, boy. I got another yeah. story here before we wind down, if that's all right. This, um, uh, this is from Breitbart, so take that into account. But the headline is, Anti-Trump groups threaten largest civil disobedience action of the century. And I'll, I'll read a little from the article. With little fanfare and almost no news media attention, some of the same radical groups involved in shutting down Donald Trump's Chicago rally last week are plotting a mass civil disobedience movement to begin next month. They intend to march across the East Coast in order to spark a, quote, fire that transforms the political climate in America. The operation calling itself Democracy Spring is threatening drama in Washington with the largest civil disobedience action of the century. These, uh, the radicals believe this will result in the arrest of thousands of their own activists. Quote, we will demand that Congress listen to the people and take immediate action to save our democracy. And we won't leave until they do, or at least until they send thousands of us to jail. The website for Democracy Springs declares channeling rhetoric from the Occupy movement. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, interesting, isn't it, how they say they're pro-democracy, and yet one of the things they want to do is make sure that their opponent is not heard. Um which maybe they think their opponent is also shutting them out. I don't know. I'm sure they would make that argument. But to think that you can promote democracy by making sure there's no free speech coming from anyone who disagrees with you is what, if nothing else, you'd say an interesting view of democracy. So um, I'm curious about this idea of civil disobedience. Is there... Are there are there times that it is appropriate or even needed to engage in civil disobedience? I think the Christian can say yes. I, the distinction would be when you are being civilly disobedient, have you left yourself properly under the authority of those who are given authority over you? So that, for, for instance, when we had things like um, the... Uh, uh, the, the, the problem of, of segregation and busing in the South, where blacks were not allowed to go into certain restaurants or ride certain buses. And so you would have civil disobedience, which would mean that um, sometimes they could block a restaurant or they would at least boycott the buses or, or whatever. But, but the thing is, is, that is not an unhealthy way of making your speech known if you're leaving yourself subject to the authorities. So you end up seeing people who are peacefully demonstrating, but they're demonstrating over against laws that they're that they're saying are unfair. But they're letting themselves be arrested. 
They're not destroying other people's property. They're not hurting other people. They're not intimidating other people. But in letting themselves be arrested, that's the civil disobedience, they are letting their voice be heard in a way then that the society has to what come come to grips with it. They have to come to some resolution. Is this good for us to not let certain citizens onto the bus? Or is it is it proper for us to let uh, to, to not allow certain people to drink from a, from a water fountain. That question needs to be brought to the fore. But when, when certain state governments, as in you know, Mississippi or at the time, or um, Alabama, uh, with Bull Connor, with, with um, Lester Maddox, with all those, when they are not allowing the question to be brought, then to have civil disobedience is a way to leave yourself under the authority of those given the authority, and yet let your voice be made known. And I would think, it would seem to me that as Christians we can embrace that. In, in the same way of, um, let's say, people now demonstrating in front of an abortion chamber. Well, even if a city government goes and says you can't demonstrate anywhere within 10 miles of an abortion chamber, for someone to go and demonstrate in front of it, let themselves be arrested, they're not resisting the authority. But they're also saying the authority should not be used to help protect a, a an abortion chamber that's taking the life of innocent ones. That seems to me an appropriate way. So the distinction would be, when I'm disobeying the law, am I doing it in a way that hurts my neighbor, brings violence to my neighbor, or brings violence or theft or damage to private property, or in a way that I will not let myself be subject to the governing authorities. In other words, I'm doing it secretly at night or something like that. So could this but, could this proper application of civil disobedience be applied to Kim Davis, the uh, county clerk who refused to sign same-sex marriage licenses and spend a few days in prison? Or would you make a distinction in that in that case against um, against this way of thinking? Well, I would speak about Kim Davis, I think, somewhat differently than some of the stuff I saw. I saw some, uh, even, I think, good Christian writers who were saying that um, if she didn't agree with what the law was, then she should have resigned. I think that history would say that's not the right way to look at it. And I think that if we want to come up with an analogy, it may not seem like a clean analogy at first, but I think if we think about it, the analogy could be if we had a county clerk in socialist Germany who was asked to do something that he considers against natural law. So in other words, there's an objective, there's an objective measure that, he's, that he has. It's against natural law. And so when the socialist um, government comes to him and says, you're the county clerk, turn over all the names of the Jewish families, and he knows that in turning those names over, he's turning them over so that they can be rounded up and have their private property stolen from them by the government, et cetera, and be sent to a concentration camp. So as a county clerk, let's say he goes and does something like he takes all the roles of, of, the, um, of, of, of the people who own homes there, and he burns them. Now, that's civilly disobedient. That's maybe even, depending on the law, criminally disobedient. And yet, you and I, looking back at the history of World War II, would say that what that man did was proper and maybe even heroic, in the same way that we would speak of Schindler as being 
uh, heroic in what he did to help these innocent families. But the man did it because he did not want himself to be used as a government agent over against natural law. And natural law includes that you don't hurt innocent families, you don't steal property, you don't collectivize property into the government. And in that way, um, families are kept, would be kept safe and in good order. Well, in Kim Davis's case, I don't know how carefully she, she thought this through, and, and that's, that's not really our task to worry about that. But here she is, a county clerk, if I remember that was her title, I'm not sure, but as a county clerk, she sees the government's telling her to do something against natural law. In other words, to look at two people who are not married and cannot be married. They cannot be, there, there can be no natural marriage because they don't fit up as male and female to be one flesh. And knowing that they cannot be married under natural law, she says, I will not call them married. Well, in that way, she should be seen as a hero that wants to make sure that when she says something, it's actually true to what reality is, true to what natural law is. Well, good. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Pastor uh, Warren Graff. He's pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he is our expert guest on Ten Commandments in the News. Thanks for joining us, Pastor Graff. <laughs> Evan, thank you. It's, it's an honor as always. And thank you for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like all the business contacts you're going to meet at the Democracy Spring Rally. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.